Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, my name is Michael Waits from Asia Tech Podcast Stories, ATP Stories, and I'm talking to Tony Verb. Tony is the co-founder and managing partner of Greater Bay Ventures and Advisors. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for me. Uh, thank you so much for letting me join you today. Good. It's a great honor. <laughs> I like it. And and also, please feel free to make fun of me on the air the same way you were doing off the air. <laughs> I appreciate the <laughs> sense of humor. That's a bit more fun, but you know, I like you it. stay appropriate. I like it. So tell me now, where, where are you based? I'm based in Hong Kong and in the Greater Bay Area. Uh, for those who don't know, yeah. the Greater Bay Area is the rebranded uh, Per River Delta. It's Hong Kong, Macau, and nine cities in the Guangdong province of uh, southern China. Wow. Okay, so that's a big deal. Yes, indeed. Yeah, because I, that was going to be one of the first things I asked you is what does Greater Bay mean? But if you look at just the geography, I guess it makes sense, right? Yes, it's 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 super exciting actually because it is the in a sense the biggest biggest mega city in the making and in the building right now. It's uh, a couple of mega cities. So some of the cities in this region are actually some of the biggest cities in the world. Already? In, yes, already. Like Guangzhou is, is, is somewhere around 20 million people. Shenzhen uh, has grown from 30,000 people 30 years ago to about 15 million uh, these days. Wow. So that gives the magnitude of, of, uh, of, of the development and also it's, it's just not, it's not the end of the process really no so it's still still building still still growing and the most exciting thing about this is that uh, all these 11 cities are integrating into this uh, megalopolis of uh, now 66 million people 1.3 trillion us dollar combined gdp 170 million uh, passenger flight passenger uh, annually, and that's expected to grow to more than 300 million uh, over the coming 15 years uh, by 2030, to be perfectly accurate. Wow! So that just gives the the magnitude of the opportunities and and the changes in the region. Yeah, I'm blown away. I mean, I always feel like I kind of know what's going on in the region, but when you put it into numbers, it makes it so it makes it sound so much more substantial, right? I mean, the idea. That Guangzhou is a gigantic city. Shenzhen, obviously, people have heard of. But how many cities did you say? Nine, six cities, nine cities that are turning into this megalopolis is really a fascinating thing, particularly if they're that well connected. And to sit yeah. sort of at the bottom of it, right, right at the base of the Pearl River Delta. Yeah, um, and that that was always Hong Kong's position. Yep, right? always. Back yep. back in the opium wars, uh, it was already that gateway to this to this region and through the region to China. And now, quite excitingly, uh, because of the even more connected uh, broader region and Asia-Pacific, uh, Hong Kong's position is becoming once again more important uh, to be the gateway to China, but also for China to the rest of the world. So it's really the interface between China and the rest of the world. And what I'm personally focusing on is is urbanization, smart cities, and and innovation across the board. Uh, and this is what the 21st century or the 21st century will be about uh, from now on. And from a regional comparison point of view, what, what sets Hong Kong apart is that it is really 
part of China, actually. It really does have access to China, but also it's very well connected to the other cities uh, in, in the entire Southeast Asian region. So it's a very exciting time from from uh, an urbanization and urban planning point of view and, and how these technologies can actually uh, proliferate uh, through this region to, to the entire Asia-Pacific region. So just a little bit of a background. Where are you from originally? I'm from Hungary, so if someone doesn't understand what I say, it's oh, no, because it's of that. No, 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 your English is perfectly <laughs> fine. It's Here's the way you have to look at it. If, if you know, Here's what I say. It's really important, right? In, in other words, for people that are multilingual, right, you never need to make an excuse for the way you speak because most people only speak one language. So to them, I just say, if you can't understand it, go learn another Like, speak. You want to do this whole thing in Hungarian? Let, let, we can do that. Anyway. Yeah, that will be a lot of fun. So I, I send a message to all the, all the people who speak only one language, go and learn Hungarian. And then get or, back to or, me. Exactly. In 25 years. Or Mandarin. <laughs> or Mandarin, yeah, or exactly. Mandarin. Or Mandarin. That will make a bit more sense. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And you're based in Hong Kong. What are the... So how many cities again did you say? I want to make sure that I get this right. It, it was actually 11 cities. Oh so it's okay. Macau, Hong Kong, and nine cities in, in, the, in the Guangdong province. Wow. And you yeah. said how many? 66 million people? Did I get that number right? 66 million people indeed, uh, 1.3 trillion uh, US dollar GDP and growing. And the interesting thing about it, it, this is that there's only uh, the GDP per capita stands at 20,000 US dollars uh, right now only. And if you compare this or if we compare this uh, to the other Delta regions of the world, which are predominantly or, or most notably the San Francisco uh Delta and Bay Area region, uh, the New York uh, Delta region, the Tokyo Delta region. Yep. Uh, from a from a GDP per capita point of view, uh, for example, San Francisco is is, is one hundred thousand US dollars uh, uh, per capita, and and that's very interesting. It just shows you the the room for growth uh, for the region, and this region is going to be growing undoubtedly. Uh, for the coming decades. It's, it's still the factory of the world. Uh, Hong Kong is still one of the financial centers of the world. Uh, Shenzhen is growingly one of the innovation capitals of the world. Right. So it's, it's, it's quite mind blowing. And, you know, even if you just mentioned Macau, which, which is an entertainment capital or gaming and entertainment capital of, of China, uh, 10 times the, the gaming turnover of Las Vegas. Las Vegas it's, right? not, it's not so, even close, right? So Yeah, and, and all these cities are pretty much within one hour uh, from each other. Uh, and that's that's the process that has been going on uh, for the last couple of years and still ongoing. From Guangzhou to Hong Kong, the high-speed uh, railway will be finished in two years, and that will uh, take the, the uh, transport time between the two cities from two and a half hours to 45 minutes. Wow. And the Hong Kong, Macau and Zuhai Bridge uh, will actually connect uh, these cities. And instead of a three hours uh, drive or four hours drive or, or a one hour ferry, ferry. ride, uh, in, in 45 minutes uh, from Hong Kong, you can be in Zuhai, uh, of which most listeners probably haven't heard of. No, nope, they haven't, right? Prob- but, but they probably will. will. Exactly. They will. Look, I remember my first time in China, okay, and that was at the beginning of 1990, so March or April of 1990, and, you know, I was very young, so I was 24 years old, and 25, sorry, and I remember thinking, 
you know, this is a communist country and, you know, the, it should have a democratic, all this kind of normal, silly American idealistic view on what China was like. And yet in the three weeks that we were there, we traveled around with a guy, an American guy who'd studied in China, a guy named Jim Baker. And Jim said to us, do you know how hard it is to electrify this entire country? <laughs> but notice yeah. but notice that when, when we travel from Shanghai through Suzhou and all the way out to um, Dauphin and Dunhuang, like in the northwestern corner, that there's electricity everywhere. Yeah. And the point is that like the government of China is doing something that's unprecedented. And to a certain extent, you have to give them credit. One of my other sort of Chinese hands said to me, the Chinese government is very good at being transparent. They're telling you exactly what they're doing. And yeah. that, that means that from an investment standpoint, for something like Greater Bay Ventures and Advisors, there's kind of a clear mandate, it seems to me, of the types of things you're going to invest in. I'm curious what your view on that is. And you, know, you did say urbanization, smart cities are really important. I believe Huawei is going to be really important at some level in building smart cities. They have a big program to do that. You tell me what you think about that, too. And just general innovation, right? You said earlier that China was still the factory for the world, but they're also starting to be the innovation center for the world as well, no? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're spot on, on on all fronts, really. And and before I you know answer one by one, let me just take a step back and really explain what sure. what Greater Bay Ventures is. Good idea. Um, and uh, Greater Bay Ventures is predominantly sourcing uh, innovative companies and solutions from Europe and help them come to Asia, including China, through the Greater Bay Area. That's our number one mandate. Uh, we will be doing this through investments and through advisory services. And we are focusing on urbanization. A, I'm personally extremely passionate about urban planning and urban development. So that, that has been my, my childhood dream. I always wanted to be a mayor, but I'm not a politician. So that's the closest I can get Fair to enough. influence how cities are built <laughs> smartly. And secondly, I'm, I, I started to plan, uh, you know, 20 years ahead instead of my usual three years, uh, planning horizon when I was younger. I'm now 33. So now I, I got to that level of wisdom right. that finally I'm looking into the future. Into the future and yeah. I, yes. And I'm looking into the future. Uh, through the lens of mega trends, right? What, what will the world look like in 20 years? And there's one trend. And obviously in, in the innovation world, in the tech world, we are all very excited about AI and robotics and, and you know, electric self-driving sure, cars. Sure, sure, sure. But, but there's one trend that is absolutely inevitable and it's urbanization. And the fact that in 30 years or by 2050, there will be another 2.5 billion people moving into cities, living in cities, in addition to the population of today's cities. Now, you need to do something drastically differently yeah, exactly. and better, more efficiently, more sufficiently, and more sustainably for to, to facilitate that process and not to break the system. Right, I mean, modern, modern city development, modern city development, yeah, isn't yeah. that old, actually, in the history of the world. It's just not that old. Sure, there have always been places where people congregated, but not in their current format, and it also means it has to iterate and change, yeah? Absolutely, and, and the exciting thing about this, this is that the technologies are now starting to be there to actually do, do things much much better, much more efficiently. So those are the technologies that that I'm uh, passionately looking at and would like to facilitate uh, the proliferation of 
uh, across Asia, really, uh, but through the Greater Bay Area. And it doesn't mean that we are dogmatic and we're not looking at technologies and companies uh, in the U.S. or in Japan, uh, but this is our our, our primary uh, mandate. So give me an example or just give me a vision. I have my own, right? But I'm really curious about what you think this urbanization, smart cities is going to look like, particularly in the context of all this innovative new technology? Like, what does that vision look like to you over the next 20 years? And it can change, right? But I'm just curious what you think about that today. Uh, let me tell what I'm most excited about. And, awesome. and uh, obviously, I, I already mentioned that we are all excited about electric self-driving cars now. I'm actually insanely excited about electric self-driving cars. I see that as a technology, and I think it's, you know, it's common sense and it's, it's, it's very broadly discussed but that's really the technology that can that can change the way we live and for the better if it's if it's deployed in a smart efficient sustainable way and and uh, the most important thing from that point of view is for the companies that have the technology and the companies that have relevant data and other companies that have access to other parts of uh customers citizens uh, uh, lives and 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 other elements of their lives and and governments and city leadership the collaboration of all these companies and elements uh, will be crucial uh, for a successful deployment of this technology which can literally change everything for the better and I'm personally not a huge fan of, of disruptive innovation as a, as a concept. As, as a concept, I, I, yeah. I agree exactly, with you. I, I, agree with I, you. I, I like constructive innovation, and this can be a highly constructive uh, uh, innovation piece and process, which will only happen if the different parties and stakeholders uh, actually do collaborate. I actually do think that we are in the age of of collaboration anyway. Agreed. And we have seen a couple of very bad examples recently <laughs> uh, of 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 disruptive of the of the failure of disruptive innovation. And I think it's a very important uh, learning that we need to take seriously. And and people will take seriously for sure. Investors will take seriously. Uh, board members will take seriously. Cities will take seriously. And I think entrepreneurs will take seriously. Do you want to mention the example that you're talking about of really bad collaboration, <laughs> even even without naming names? I'm just curious like what the situation was. Because after that, I want to dig deeper into this concept of autonomous vehicles. And I'll tell you why. First of all, it's something, I, I, it's something that is so close to me. Anyway, go ahead. I interrupt. Let, let, let's, let's just jump jump straight into it because no everyone so knows exactly what I refer to and it's Fair just it's, it's already over Fair over enough. talk okay so yeah. here's the thing I did at least two podcasts on completely just autonomous vehicles and why I think they're paradigm changing for your entire life okay yeah. so you can feel free to go back and listen to them but I'm happy to repeat what I said there because I think yeah. it is a paradigm change for the way particularly cities and urban areas will interact but I think it changes an entire economic ecosystem as well so I'm curious what you think yeah, I, I 
I would love if you could elaborate and, and bring a couple of points from, okay. from, so, from your thoughts, and I would love to refer back to them because uh, it's, it's a very, very broad and, and long topic. Right. Yeah. So here, so here's, here's a quick and dirty view. Okay. And again, I'm yeah. not covering everything, but let's just start with this. Yeah. An automobile today, at least in my generation, is something that you bought when you were 16. You filled it up at a gas station. You went on dates with it. You went to work with it. You owned it. And after six or seven years, you sold it. And as soon as you bought it, it depreciated 50% and you had no way of earning any money from it. It was just a cost center for you. Yeah. Okay, that's first of all. Um, and it was individually owned. And most people only owned one car because you can't drive two cars at once. And if you had a family, maybe you had more. But the reality is that each individual normally had one car. Even really wealthy people maybe had a weekend car. But let's put that aside. But let's fast forward to today. And now I have an electric vehicle, which means I no longer have to go to a gas station. And once battery technology catches up, I can charge it at home and maybe go for 500, 600 kilometers. We're already moving to that state already. Yep. But second of all, if it's autonomous, then, then even your work life changes. Here's, here's my view on a typical but not the only use of an automated vehicle for a day. Okay, I pre-program my car to come pick me up. If I own the car, yeah? This is if I own it. And yeah. not everybody will own a car or a vehicle, right? So I pre-programmed that car to pick me up at 7 o'clock in the morning, but it's not parked anywhere near my house. And that car may be parked in the countryside where parking is freely available or very low cost, and it's not taking up any space or ruining anybody else's day because it's there. That car comes to get me. It arrives at 7 o'clock in the morning automatically. And during the interim, I get a request from people that either I know or don't know they need a ride to some place if they're actually going to an office that day. And I earn money from this, potentially. Yeah. So yep. my car picks me up. When I'm in my car, remember, I'm not driving. So I can have coffee. I can do work because it's completely a connected vehicle as well. It's not just an automobile. I have yep. a vision where every one of the windows, if there are windows in the car, are screens. Yep. And those screens can be used to do any type of computing, whether it's stock trading, medical devices... Um, I can look at x-rays and MRIs, if I'm a, all this kind of stuff that I can do, and I can segment each part of the vehicle. It can be in any shape too, right? Because I may not want it to be what a car looks like today. I may want to have individual pods. Anyway, that car drops off everybody at their office, maybe, and then goes out and earns income for me based on parameters that I've given it that I preset. So it goes to certain places, it goes at certain times, and then it does the thing in reverse you know, at night and comes and picks us all up again, could be different people, drops us off. And now that car has a ton of value because I'm actually earning money from it. So even if the value of it drops for resale, the economic value that it provides is awesome. Plus, it helps congestion. It helps pollution. Um, it also helps productivity. This is just some of the stuff, right? But remember, at night, I can send that car back out before it goes to its parking spot out in the countryside to pick up drunk people from bars and clubs so no one's drinking and driving anymore. Um, and a whole host of other things. It can act as an automatic ambulance if somebody needs an ambulance and then boom, it just takes somebody to a hospital, right? There are a thousand different ways it can be used and then it goes and it parks outside, the, out in the countryside, gets charged overnight and then does the same thing or a different thing the next day. There's so many possibilities. I mean, I touched on productivity, on work, on the environment, um, on the whole economic ecosystem, and that's just me with one sort of maybe typical or atypical day. And there's more, right? Absolutely. You you, you touched you touched upon all the important aspects, and and just to just to highlight another angle, of what I'm really 
excited and let's say fairly pragmatic about because I think the vision is unquestionable. That's that's yep. where that's that's what the technology has to offer potentially. Now, how will we get there? That's the question I'm asking. And that's the that's the that's what we're talking about with city planners, city leaders. Right. And and it 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 will be step by step. It won't be exploding. This won't happen tomorrow or in five years' time. It is a couple of decades. It starts with regulations, starts with uh, successful pilots. The only way this interconnectivity will happen if companies and stakeholders work closely side by side, sharing information, sharing protocols, developing methodologies together. And, and that's, that's the process I'm personally extremely excited about because technology is is almost there or pretty much there to to do what whatever you actually just described uh, but but the less tech related uh, side of things is is the real hard uh, uh, element I agree of, of the process and and we are as, as a company and I am as an individual uh, ex- are extremely dedicated to to be part of that process and it's something and the reason why I'm highlighting this is because a uh, a lot of tech enthusiasts are forgetting about these realities and and the decisions will be still made by 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 city leaders and these decisions won't be made uh lightheartedly uh, so it it needs to be a very sober and it will be a very sober uh, a very serious process uh, through which we we ever get here and and one 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 extra element i would like to highlight uh, which is also a little bit less talked about is uh, the autonomous uh, self-driving electric mass transportation vehicles is something that uh, the the city planners, city leaders, governments have a real appetite for already. And I see the prol- proliferation of those solutions and technologies uh, happening actually probably faster uh, than the personal uh personal vehicle uh, segment. Right. I mean, I said on my podcast originally that I thought that the place where this was first going to be implemented was in a smaller sort of highly technologized city like Singapore. And then, boom, a few months later, there's already a public trial. See, the thing is, and you know this too, and again, interrupt me when I'm wrong or even when I'm right, right? You're you're pretty right. But... (laughs) <laughs> but but these autonomous vehicles that can come in any shape, right? So people will say, well, I don't want to get into somebody else's car, somebody that I don't know. But you're happy yeah. to get on a city bus, right, that's driven by some guy you don't know or some lady you've never yeah. met before. That's okay. So yeah, you just have but, to, but it's a mentality, right? But it's also changing, like with with sure. with uh, with you Uber know, I'm, 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 I'm exactly. I'm sitting, I'm standing on on a balcony in Singapore right now, and you know, Grab, Lyft, Uber, Didi. Uh, with with that uh, that mentality has changed, and I think it was a very important uh, milestone, you know, in in human evolution, if you will, to to get closer to this uh, ultimate sharing economy uh, of of transportation. Uh, really, and and autonomous self-driving uh, cars will will have to be shared uh, by definition. Uh, right. there, there's simply no point owning them if if we if we are logical about them. Well, sure, and I think there was some study that was done a few years ago that said that individual-owned cars are generally used only 15% of the time that they could be. So 85% of the time, it just sits in someone's driveway. It feels yeah, like a waste, and, right? Yeah, and other studies show that it's just 
really five percent yeah, uh, maybe <laughs> usability and and it just literally doesn't make any sense and you know the recent studies also show and not these are not studies these are real statistics real real numbers that millennials and and young people actually don't feel that they need to own a car they don't want to own a car you know compared to the baby boomers or even even a, a couple of decades ago there has been a decrease by 20 30 percent in different uh, countries in car car ownership within the young populations and and even driving license you right, know right. much much less people are actually going to to take uh, driving license courses because they just don't feel the need it's not necessary it's not necessary indeed Right. I mean, cars, if you look at urbanization and urbanization trends in the United States, right, and all the stuff that sort of Robert Morris did when he was developing the road systems in New York, but also the feeder systems into the rest of the Northeast, it was all conceptualized based on the fact that everyone was going to have their own car, right? Like, I need to go out to Long Island or I need to go to Connecticut and I need to make New York an easier place to drive in. But that was because that was the technology that was available at that time. I think if you're building a city today, which is what you're talking about, yeah. How would you construct it? And then how would you organize it? Because traffic, so here's one thing that I love saying. Bangkok is one of the greatest cities in the world, particularly on days when there's no traffic. <laughs> yes, but most days there, yeah. But most days there, there is traffic. Yes, yes. Right. I, I think, you know, like the, there are also other studies that show that the, the, the amount of time spent in traffic, in traffic jams is, is causing uh, hundreds of billions of US dollars in, in productivity loss in the US alone. So, you know, this is a real issue. This is a yeah. real productivity issue. It's a real uh, societal happiness issue. Uh, it's an efficiency issue. It's a pollution issue. Uh, it's an issue across the board. And, and now we have the technology to, to tackle that. Now we need to come up with, with, uh, uh, constructive, innovative, you know, case studies, uh, uh, that will show the way to to do this to do this right. So, what is the prospective mayor in you? I love the fact that you wanted to be a mayor when you were a little kid. That's great. But what is <laughs> well, the... it... <laughs> No, go Sorry. ahead. I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no. Like uh, I, there is a, an anecdote for that Tell because there, there are only two things I wanted to be in my life, and one was Luke Skywalker. <laughs> uh, you weren't alone. That's... <laughs> I'm trying, I know, but you know, I, I I want to hope that I get a little bit closer to that reality. Fair enough. You know? uh, I was really practicing uh, with the stones and lifting stuff with my hand, but you know, I never really got there. The point is, uh, I watched Star Wars in socialist Hungary in you know all my early childhood, Fair and enough. I was absolutely obsessed about the space. And actually, that took my that developed my interest about innovation and technology, which which yeah. is actually very very interesting. But around the, the age nine, uh, Maxis came out with this uh, game, video game called SimCity 2000, yep. and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I, from that point onward, I only wanted to be a mayor. Okay, right. so these are the only two things I wanted to be. Uh, then I decided I just want. That I just wanted to be me and as many shapes and forms of me as possible. And, uh, and, and I've done a lot of different things in my life, but my intention to be a mayor has not uh, waned. And I just need to develop a more political and less entrepreneurial self of mine. One day I might get there. Now, uh, I think one, one important element of this process is that uh, with SimCity 2000 and and, and I think it, 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 I want to highlight this because it, it underlines my arts politica, so to say, yep. for building business, 
building businesses and and just operating in life if you build a city you can't think uh, with an individualistic mindset you can't have an individualistic approach you need to have an ecosystem uh, approach and what what i really happy to see that the world is shifting towards that reality now and uh, when i started to become part of the urban planning urbanization international community i felt i never felt more home than in the company of those people and and i did some self reflection on that and i realized the reason is because none of the city planners or city leaders can be individualistic or destructive or disruptive uh, when it comes to their their thinking and their approach to life and their 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 dealings with situations they need to be uh, ecosystem thinkers yep. uh, and that's really what i am and i, I trace it back to SimCity 2000 so i don't know who wrote that video game who coded it but one day i will i will send a bouquet <laughs> but isn't it the case though that i mean you mentioned this right so shenzhen was yeah. 30,000 people, what did you say, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? and now 30 it's, years ago. 30 years ago, and now it's 15 million people, almost 20 million people, and it's not stopping, right? The more manufacturing, the more sort of of the mobile ecosystem, the mobile technology ecosystem that gets based in Shenzhen, and isn't Huawei is based there, yeah? Huawei is based there, Tencent is based, based there. there. Right, so yeah, it's not going to get smaller, it's just going to get bigger. No. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. This, is, this is going to be one of the largest urban areas in the world. Yeah. How, like how do you how do you see this playing out, just from an urban urbanization and sort of urban development standpoint? Like, what do you see for? I had so many questions, but like over, the overall vision of this, what do you see it looking like? There are so many questions, and I need to highlight the most difficult one. And as I told you, I'm not a politician. If no, I was no, no, a politician, no, no. we'd have a different I, if conversation. I was, if I was a politician, I was I wouldn't mention this because of the, the the toughest part of this integration is 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 not on on an infrastructure or not even on an ecosystem level nope. it's it's on a on a cultural and legal system level because yep. basically this integration is happening between china and macau which is a special administrative region with its own legal system and its own culture and its own way of doing business and hong kong uh, which is uh, also, SAR, also a special, yeah. yeah, also a special region with it, with its own legal system and with its own very own way of of doing business. Now, uh, it, this 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 is a major challenge. So, how can you integrate, uh, you know, eleven cities that don't have the same legal system, for example? So, uh, the real challenges will be on that front. But the answer is really on an economic ecosystem level and you know these these economies or these cities are are highly integrated already they 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 present uh, an an unmatchable supply chain really as we talked discuss is the factory of the world it used to be just the factory of the world but now it's also the high high tech one of the high tech capitals in the world yep. and Shenzhen transitioned beautifully from from pure manufacturing uh, to to high tech manufacturing and and uh, to to the higher added value elements of the uh, supply chain and and the innovation economy in the innovation economy they are an, an unavoidable uh, city and ecosystem now so I I I'm a huge believer that uh, through facilitating collaborations and collaborative projects 
between these cities will make the integration actually more real, more smooth, and and more beneficial for for everyone. And that's really my my number one, you know, uh, my very simple answer to a, a very complicated question. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good vision, though, right? Is is helping facilitate the integration of those disparate systems, disparate cities. And to a certain extent, I mean, Macau's far away, right? It's an ocean separates. It's an island far further away. Hong Kong's an island too, but it's creeping close to not being one if you look what happens in the bay there every day. Um, Absolutely. You know, and of course, part of Hong Kong, the territory itself is also, there's mainland Hong Kong too, which is connected to the new territories, which goes right up into Guangdong, Guangzhou, and then straight up into Shanghai. I think it's interesting too, because to me, it feels slightly like history repeating itself. If you look, for lack of a better term, a um, hundred years ago or back in the old days, you know, there was a reason why HSBC as a bank is called HSBC, and I don't think most people even know what it stands for. Um, yeah. But Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation mm. was also one of those connecting nodes between that island and what was then the financial center of Asia, which was Shanghai, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's regaining its, uh, its, its capacity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what do you want to talk a little bit more about Greater Bay Ventures and advisory and advisors? Like, I really want to know how you, like, what type of companies are you going to focus on bringing in from Europe, and you know, strategically, if it occurs from the United States, and what type of services you're going to provide to them to help integrate them into this entire urbanization process? Because that's fascinating. Yep. Um, so we are. We just launched three months ago, and and I will be very honest and humble to say that that it has been. A soft loan, so are building our structures and and capacities right now. Got it. Uh, but in the bottom, it, it, imagine a in, in, imagine a funnel a little bit, and, and in the bottom of that, uh, the foundation of the business is is a fund. It's an investment fund. It's a later stage investment fund, post Series A, B, C, pre IPO, focusing on companies that are proven in their services and their products and their and, and teams and we see the potential for for them to grow in Asia with with a potential even a potential exit on the horizon, but definitely helping them to become um, IPO ready, so to say, in, in in a couple of years' times. And and beyond capital, what we are uh, about to bring to the table is 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 a network across Asia uh, to start with in the Greater Bay Area. Uh, but across Southeast Asia and China, uh, for very high-level partnerships, distribution networks, and 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 to do real real business, it we will be fairly risk-averse in our investment thesis uh, because it will be fairly straightforward to see uh, who can thrive and and what companies can thrive in this environment. Okay. And when it comes specifically to Urbanization, smart cities. There are a handful of companies uh, that that can be partners in distribution or can be the the, the clients, the customers uh, for certain technologies, and uh, we we do have that network uh, across Asia, and and we know whom to talk to 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 have that kind of due diligence and 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 do our homework before we do any investment but at the same time when it comes to advisory we will be very open to help any companies uh to uh find their or establish their foothold right. in in Asia and once again to start with 
in the Greater Bay Area. There are a lot of companies, and, and I keep going back to, to Europe for one particular reason. For a, a good decade, or for the past decade, uh, most most of the European Union has been has been struggling, obviously, with the, the post-Euro uh, crisis, the financial crisis, yep. and and innovation uh, as as a driver has been has not been the the focus for for certain countries. Now, the the environment changed in Europe, and there's a big political will across the board to to strengthen the innovation economy, to strengthen ecosystems and and there is also fairly cheap capital across the board uh, looking for investable companies technologies and and the knowledge capital has always been there in Europe there are a lot of smart people there are there are a lot of very old institutions producing smart people and uh, there are very strong s- structures for and around innovation so i'm a huge believer that that these factors combined will produce uh, or will keep producing, but at a higher pace and, and intensity, uh, very, very interesting companies. And I also expect them not to focus on on the U.S., which is, is a fairly expensive uh, market to compete in and probably has lost its allure a little bit over the last uh, period uh, or or more recently yeah. and the european union is is a very difficult uh, uh, environment to 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 grow fast it's it's a great uh, economic block i'm a huge fan of the european union but uh, but given how fragmented it is from a from a from a language point of view from a culture yes. point of view it it is difficult to grow fast and um, what European innovative companies and, and leaders of ecosystems started to realize that they need to develop their capacity um, uh, on going going east, going to Asia. Uh, but there has not been um, an, a, an awful lot of case studies and, and and structures and networks that would that would help them do that. And we definitely would like to be be one of those. Yeah, I mean, God, it's so hard to disagree with the vision there, right? I mean, in the sense that the U.S. has lost a little bit of its luster, and the fact that the European Union, to me, was always a great thing, right? Remember, I was there when Maastricht was being discussed, when the Euro was implemented back in 2000, and I watched the whole, you know, <clears throat> the whole growth and development of that of that process. But it always seemed to me that it was going to be slightly difficult because of the different cultures and the different languages in each one of the countries. It just seemed unlikely to me that somebody was going to move en masse, yeah, that people are going to move en masse from, like, Berlin to Barcelona for a job, right? Yeah, so and it is, it is actually happening, but, but not, not probably on the, on the scale that you, you would have expected or, or desired, indeed. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's undoubtable, uh, and, and I'm, I, I represent a very strong view on this, that, that Europe is way better off with the European Union and all these markets are and countries are way better off uh, with the European Union um, but but for on a, on a tech company level or an innovative company level it, it is it is a difficult environment to 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 develop a business and and it has its limitations now the limitations are are actually not bad it's still a, a market for more than 400 million people but but Asia has has uh, a, a different scale 
and and different uh, competitive landscape. So I'm a, I'm a European and and, I, and I'm a you know fairly proud pro European and I'm I'm uh, I'm also very proud uh, a resident of of Asia and uh, I do think that there's a, a lot more uh, to the the connectivity of the two ecosystems and I'm talking about macro ecosystems yep. Yep. Uh, than than what exists today. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience that's kind of led up to this if if you think it's relevant? In other words, where does the team come from? Where do you know I, I know where you're from, but where does the team come from? What what is their like genesis for bringing these people together and how many of them are you in total as a team? Uh, the team is still being built uh, and it's growing pretty much by the by the day and uh, and half of the team is in is in Europe. We have a partner in in pretty much each of the major ecosystems across Europe and um, we have very strong expertise uh, in the Greater Bay Area and in Southeast Asia within our uh, core team. And that is really the core team, uh, because that's the core competence uh, that's that's needed. As I said, it's it's Greater Bay Area first, Asia, Southeast Asia, and China second, like broader China, Greater China, uh, and Europe, so to say, second as well, uh, or third in a way, because without the first two elements, we cannot provide the services sure. that we are we are there to. To provide, and sure. I'm 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 fairly confident that uh, once we we are able to provide these services, the 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 sort to say the clients and the projects and the opportunities will will present themselves based on the networks that we have and the friends we have in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing the way you know that uh, Greater Bay Ventures and Advisors develops because I think as we talked about at the beginning. It's it's it, in a way it's almost obvious, right? Like you said, your investment thesis is risk. Um, it doesn't have as much risk as sort of a general venture capitalist because you kind of yeah. know where things are going, and as long as you pick the right horses to ride, which should be easier at the stage where you're thinking of both investing and advising. Yeah. Um, you know, picking those horses should be relatively straightforward. And just the growth dynamics around the Greater Bay Region, integrating all those eleven cities, and then connecting them to more developed ecosystems outside of the region is is pretty straightforward. Yeah, you got it. Yes, that's 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 the thinking. <laughs> well, I really like it. Look, Tony, this <laughs> thank has been, you. No, this has been a fascinating conversation. This is one of those conversations I feel like re requires like a three month or a six month follow up. Do you know what I mean? Because you guys have just sort of soft launched. The, the concept is very well developed. Um, and I'm really curious to follow up like in six months to just see what kind of progress you guys have made because this is a fascinating topic for me. Thank you very much and I can't wait to follow up uh, really with you and the listeners. Tony Verb, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Me too, yours. And thank you for the attention, everyone. My pleasure. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.